You are listening to episode 29 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Welcome to the Take the Reins podcast. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nikki Porter, and I'm so excited for this interview today. We're going to dive right in. I'm speaking with Mr. Jake Lundahl of Lundahl Performance Horses. This is a fantastic conversation. We dive into horse training and mindset and the importance of growth as a horse person as well as a human. We talk a lot about mentorship and the importance of gaining education, so gaining knowledge and control in order to be able to have confidence and success with our horses and in life. It really is an awesome conversation and I hope you enjoy it. And I can't believe it, we're on episode 29 already, two more episodes left of season one of the Take the Reins. And I've received so much amazing feedback so far about who your favorite interviews have been with and what your favorite topics have been. A lot of people just saying, you know, the more the merrier, lots more of the mindset pieces and lots more of conversations with um, people who inspire them to just be better people overall and better horse owners. So I'm going to keep it coming and I can't wait for you to hear who's with me in season two of Take the Reins coming in September. It's really exciting and I just can't help but say how much I appreciate your support and your feedback. It's been amazing and I just can't wait to see this grow and uh, really all I have to do is thank you for that. So we're going to get into the interview and if you like this conversation, again, come on over to my social media and share your experience with me, whether it turned on some light bulbs or just gave you a few realizations. And I really encourage you to go and check out Jake Lundahl of Lundahl Performance Horses on his website or his Facebook or Instagram. He is putting out some really great work and he's helping a lot of people with a lot of things. So here we go. This is our interview with Jake Lundahl. Hello, Jake Lundahl. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you? Nikki, great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I'm doing fantastic. Good, good. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's my pleasure for sure. And I'm really excited about our conversation. I know it's one that my listeners are going to be excited to listen to as well. And I've had a couple conversations around your 
podcast as well. And it's really prompted some great conversation on my end. So I'd love to be able to, throughout this conversation between you and I, make sure that my listeners understand that there's lots of different avenues that they can get information from you, as well as really dig into our own conversation and me be able to ask some questions here that I think that they're going to benefit from. So I'd love if you could start with us today just by giving us a little background for those of the people that are listening that don't necessarily know about your podcast or about your training and uh, give us a background on who you are and what you teach. Yeah, definitely. So I host a podcast called The Horseman's Academy. Um, and I started this uh, a couple of years ago. I've actually been as a professional trainer training for about the past 10 to 12 years, depending on when you really want to start. I mean, I was taking horses in at 16 for money, technically not very much. <laughs> yeah. um, but if you want to call me a professional at that time. Um, but I suppose my background in horses, like I, I was kind of one of those kids. I didn't grow up on a ranch. Uh, my folks had a feedlot and we had horses that you used to work cattle, but we were never really horse people. Um, the horse was kind of a last ditch utility. If you couldn't get cattle in for doctoring on foot, <laughs> then mm -hmm. you reluctantly got the horse, you know, and I have memories of being scared by horses, uh, being bucked off hard, you know, if my dad let me ride a couple of times and I just ne was never really into horses. I kind of was more into sports like baseball, things like that. Um, and then about the time I was 15 years old, um, is when my, one of my younger sisters actually got an older gelding for Western pleasure, horsemanship, those types of things for 4-H. And he was a cantankerous horse with a lot of attitude problems. And I kind of took an interest, I guess, at that point. I don't really know what sparked it, but I had a guy that was coaching me in baseball at the time that just happened to be a big horseman. And he, at the time, he watched all the shows on RFD TV. He had all the DVDs from some of the top clinicians out there. Um, and he actually lent me a DVD set that was being put out at the time. It might have been actually VHS. This was so hmm. long ago. Um, he had Clinton Anderson's old Riding with Confidence tapes. Mm -hmm. And I sat and watched those and took notes in a notebook, wrote down practically every word of it, and would go out and work with my sister's horse as well as one old gelding that we had. And the confidence it gave me, because I, I never really understood anything about horse psychology or like how to teach horses things or what, how, how to teach, you know, just applying pressure, or just anything about what it takes to get along successfully with horses. And that, that DVD said, and there was others from, from several different trainers that he lent me, that it just opened up a whole new world to where I finally understood horses, you know, and so all the the lack of confidence and the, the, how scared I was initially of horses when I was younger, it was now a complete game changer. And so I really got addicted to working horses at that point. And one thing leads to another, I get several more horses of my own to train. Um, this Justin Dutcher, who was kind of my first mentor, you might say, uh, that also coached me in baseball. He helped me start several Colts when I was like 15, 16 years old. I rode with him constantly. The guy was basically giving me like a free clinic every single day for about two years. Nice. Um, and so, you know, being with somebody like that, that was super knowledgeable as well as confident of, around horses really rubbed off on me in a positive way. And it just created this hunger and passion in me to, to keep learning horsemanship. Um, and, you know, I, I started taking in 
horses for training. I, I worked a couple smaller time jobs with some local cutting horse trainers, you know, loping horses and stuff like that. And um, kind of got my first dose of what the professional side of things looks like. Um, looking back, it, it wasn't the best learning experience, but, you know, I was new to the whole thing. Um, but in between that, taking some horses in on my own. And, and then I, I really started to realize, you know, cause I, I became hungry to go to clinics with other trainers. I was buying all their stuff, you know, like mm -hmm. just trying to consume any knowledge I could. And when I would turn around and train a horse for somebody else, I realized that I don't have any teaching skills because hmm. I'm a super shy person. Naturally people that know me growing up, know I barely would say a word typically, you know, mm -hmm. in public, um, very reserved type farm kid, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so I realized, though, I don't know how to communicate anything that I know or anything that I'm doing to somebody else, maybe that that put their horse in training with me, you know. And so I started to realize I need some education on how to teach other people. Mm -hmm. um, and so my my younger brother, Luke, actually, um, who was into horses as well, kind of got started around the same time as I did. He was apprenticing for Clinton Anderson at the time. And I ended up apprenticing for him as well and graduated his program. And, and that was a huge learning experience in terms of the education uh, clinic side of the industry, as well as just horse industry business savvy. You know, it was mm -hmm. a very good eye opener there. Um, and after that, I, I got the opportunity to work uh, for Corey Cushing, Rain Cowhorse Trainer. Um, and at the time my brother was working for Andrea Fapani. And so it was, it was kind of cool because we were living right down the road from each other in Arizona and we would meet up after work and constantly be sharing ideas and swapping things back and forth, um, and kind of put our own little program together. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I always had, had my own ambitions, obviously of writing for myself and finally got the opportunity to do that starting two years ago. Um, and so I've kind of gone that, uh, my, my passion really is the rain cow horses, um, really like starting younger horses, starting prospects mm -hmm. is probably my real wheelhouse. Uh, but I've got, you know, my own showing ambitions and things that I'm working on with, with some older horses. Um, but I also do all around training, a lot of lessons, clinics, things like that. Luke is more into the raining. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, that's kind of how I came up, where my education background is. And I think all my experiences really, it, it's, it's kind of a best of both, both worlds scenario between like the natural horsemanship clinic education side of the industry versus the performance horse side of the industry. There's really good concepts and practical things to take from both. And it mm -hmm. really, that plus other jobs that I worked pr prior to that, all of that stuff gave me a really... I think balanced outlook, mm -hmm. um, as, as, as well as just seeing the gaps on both sides, you know, where a lot of the professional guys go wrong, I think, or, or don't do a thorough job, maybe in some of their cult starting or some of their problem solving skills. A lot of the clinicians could borrow, uh, performance horse concepts and their horses would be better, you know? So mm -hmm. I've gotten to see a lot of the dynamics play out and it's helped me tremendously in my career with my own horses training wise, but also in the way that I teach people. Mm -hmm. as well. Awesome. It's funny that you say that you were quiet and shy because I had a gentleman come who takes a fair amount of our clinics and we spend a fair amount of time with. And I had spoke, he came in to the arena. I think it was the day that I had spoken to you last. 
and I said who I had just spoken to. And he has gone to Clinton Anderson's a few times as well. And he's, he has met you at Clinton Anderson's. And he said, it's really funny that he is so well-spoken and, and so clear and confident sounding in his podcast because he was so quiet when I met him at Clinton Anderson. So it's knowing you only based on what I know of you right now, it's really interesting to gain that perspective from him and then to hear it again from you. Uh, it's really interesting because, you know, it pushes people to be able to think outside of their comfort zone and say, well, just because this is where I'm at, at right now, it doesn't mean that this is where I need to be. And you saying that you're uncomfortable around the horses, you had lost your confidence from being bucked off in different situations in the past. And now you're literally training and, and become a horseman, uh, a professional horseman. It, it makes, I guess it, it kind of takes our excuses away, <laughs> which is, which is nice. And then when you were talking about the VHSs, that's what our quarantine has totally brought out for us. We've brought out like <laughs> our Sandy Collier videos. We've been oh, watching yeah. the buck videos. Um, yep. so my husband went and dug out our VHS player, like I think a week ago, and he's been playing back all of those old videos that he's had just sitting there that we haven't looked at in so long. And the main thing that we have said is he was like, gosh, there's just so much information. And I don't know if we can, you know, take it all in. I said, but there's not, there is, and there's not, there is because there's so much to consume, but it's all teaching us the same thing in different ways. So it's finding those things that work for you. Um, and I think that that's been our main, our main learning point. Um, one thing that I kind of took from what you just said, though, is when I think about where you were with your horses confidence-wise and then where you were with your teaching confidence-wise, would you say that really it's knowledge and education that allowed you to be able to push yourself past those comfort zones and really grow as a person in those areas? I, I think that's huge. You know, if you look at uh, what something I fundamentally believe with horses anyway, is that when you have control and you have knowledge, that breeds confidence. Confidence mm -hmm. leads to having fun and success with horses. In terms of my interactions, uh, you know, teaching people and just being able to develop public speaking skills, I think that's really the term. It is a skill. It is something that can be learned. Mm -hmm. um, you and I both know there's a lot of experts out there that, that speak to that, that mm -hmm. teach people techniques, things like that. Um, and having the confidence, the knowledge base, not only just from studying materials and things, but just through lived experience of the horses I've trained has mm -hmm. given me a lot more confidence to where I'm not so timid to talk about things, even if I'm experimenting with something, mm -hmm. I can walk people through that instead of just keeping that close to the chest. Um, and so I'd say that's probably the majority of it, but there is a small element in there where it's just like, you know, naturally I'm wired one way, but with enough willpower, I can make a choice mm -hmm. to step out of my shell and change, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's part of it too. But uh, if you don't know what you're talking about, you're not going to sound confident in any context. So right. uh, you've got to have the knowledge base first. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind, I'm going to keep us on the confidence path for a moment. And I'd like to switch it from us as people and bring it around to our horses. So we know that, you know, we have confident horses and we have horses that lack confidence. 
if you had a horse that lacks confidence, what do you see as the most important thing to be able to offer that horse confidence and to be able to allow that horse's confidence to grow? I think the biggest thing is consistency. Consistency in your cues, consistency in your body language, how you present yourself, the interactions around your horse, big and small, whether it's training context or just in your everyday interaction around your horse, you know, if you're presenting yourself in a consistent way, I know a lot of trainers say that almost to where it's become cliche, mm -hmm. but it's so true because horses, they pick up on body language, they pick up on, on habits. Um, and while you might be in a training scenario anyway, you're putting pressure on your horse, you're stepping them outside of their comfort zone, you're teaching them new skills, yes, but the, the consistency and, and a, to some degree, the predictability of when your body language changes, for example, and you're asking mm -hmm. them to move their feet versus stand quiet, passively and relaxed, or mm -hmm. just the way you apply these cues, I've seen it literally make or break certain horses confidence, especially there's certain horses that are kind of skitterish in general. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of horses that I train in a problem solving context come from people who just have, for lack of a better word, they have poor feel and timing around horses. They have very inconsistent cues. Their body language reeks of a lack of confidence, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and there's just no consistency in any of the habits or any of the cues uh, or really their expectations of what their horse is supposedly capable of, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that uncertainty there um, really affects horses' minds. Like I said, I've seen it just make or break horses, or I've seen super good-minded, confident horses become unconfident over the course of several minutes uh, if they're being handled poorly. You know, we've all probably seen uh, examples of that. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing for me is consistency, across everything, especially in your cues, the way you're interacting and setting realistic expectations of what your horse can accomplish, you know, and having a consistent program under you that makes sense and the concepts go together and it's not a disjointed jumble where, because horses are not stupid. They realize when we're doing something, if it's, if it's leading to a goal mm -hmm. and if things are connecting or if this is just a waste of time, frankly, and it's not going anywhere and they get bored, they get frustrated, you know, mm -hmm. so consistency, having a plan, probably the two biggest things I would stress when it comes to that confidence, especially in horses. Mm -hmm. I think that the most important piece there too, is that in order for us to be consistent, in order for us to be able to build that confidence in our horses, we have to actually have a clear picture of what we're doing. So mm -hmm not the end result of what we're looking for, but what we're doing every second that we're with our horses and understanding that every time you're with your horse, you're communicating something to them. I think so often outside of the professional world, we handle those horses in a way that we're not even acknowledging that we're training in those moments. And so that tends to be where the inconsistency lies is, well, I'm not in the arena yet or I haven't asked them to do anything yet, and you neglect so many parts of your training simply based on a lack of awareness. Yep, yep, totally. I've seen that dynamic play out, even like uh, you know, professional horse trainers that have a lot of horses in training that have barn help 
for example, a lot of us have seen this. I know probably your listeners out there have experienced this maybe where you've got somebody that saddles for a trainer or is bathing horses, for example, that doesn't have a lot of horsemanship knowledge, doesn't have a lot of feel and awareness around horses. And over the course of a few days, that uneducated person is going to have that horse not leading, flipping over in the wash rack, head shy, cinchy, you know, I mean, these things matter, even these small things, just handling them every day. That's why I say consistency and how you present yourself and just being aware of these little micro things that are going on um, because horses are, you know, I mean, probably their best feature and what makes them so trainable is because they're so aware and attentive toward body language. It's how they communicate with each other primarily. Um, but that blessing is also a curse if the way that we're behaving around them is inconsistent, herky-jerky, um, you know, the horse is never quite clear what exactly our expectations are. It's our job as, as humans, as horse handlers, as horsemen, really, to set those expectations and have consistency there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, there's two different spectrums, I find, that you have the horse that lacks confidence and they seem to notice everything. They notice everything you're doing. They're kind of fractious and they're looking at you for all of these things and and everything means so much. And then you have the confident horse. So I'm used to working with cow horses and these little, like, not necessarily hot minded, but they're just ready to be with you. They're super soft and feely all the time. And I'm now moving into the reigning world where I have this little horse who's super confident and I'm seeing a different side to confidence. So when, rather than me putting the confidence into him, first, my responsibility is to maintain his confidence. But what I find is that he's so confident that his performance is peaked when a high pressure is on. So if the situation is me saying, okay, here I'm a hundred percent asking you, let's go, let's go. And I have a lot of pressure on, then he, he's really in tune and really with me. And when the pressure's decreased, he seems to just be like, yeah, okay, cool. And, and nothing really seems to bother him. So it's really finding that balance with him where he respects my cue and is tuned into me enough as well as being confident and quiet. And I, I'm finding that the conversations that I'm having around this there's a little bit of a struggle in that area where you, instead of having that horse, that's like, you're always reassuring. You have that horse that says, well, I've kind of got this on my own. And uh, what do you, how do you feel about that? That's something I've come across, especially working with clients of mine who, uh, you know, maybe they're purchasing a, a really well-trained horse for the first time. And, and prior to that, they, they had no experience. And now they want to say, do some non-pro cow horse or reining, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, they get a horse that's like a proven confident operator and now they kind of feel intimidated a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think where the real difference maker, um, there's maybe a couple things, but number one is if, if you're in that situation, finding a mentor, working with, working with a trainer that, that can give you a, an actual program, like literally outline for you okay, where this horse is at, if there's any weak spots maneuver-wise, the priority exercises that you need to be working on every day, these are the tools that you need to keep this horse sharp and have a plan and have a system that you can rely on. Because if you have that framework underneath of you, there has to be a balance. You need to have some foundation and some predictability, obviously, in the things that you're doing. 
Um, but on the same token, you need to learn when it's appropriate to get out of your horse's way mm -hmm. and let them perform. You know, uh, these, those types of horses honestly are kind of a dream horse in my opinion, um, that are, that thrive under pressure, kind of like certain people that are anti-fragile, the more pressure or, or things that are breaking down around them, they become resilient. There's certainly horses that are like that. It's just a different ball game if you're riding them. And that's where there's a fine line between having a structure in place to keep this horse sharp, to keep things on track, even continue improving their skills more. But you have to have the feel and timing and awareness to know when to get out of that horse's way and let them perform. And that's again where a mentor can come in to mm -hmm. the picture. If, if you're struggling with knowing where to make those judgment calls, I mean, the first thing I tell people is that's a natural part of the learning curve of riding at an advanced level mm -hmm. or just having a horse that's that confident. You know, it's a different ball game. At the same time, I can make call outs to them as they're riding. I can help them recognize those little things that they might have missed mm -hmm. on their own to say, okay, you know, you need to back off there or, hey, you need to put some pressure on him there. And literally, you know, because there's that saying that you can't teach feel. I argue that it can be taught if you've got somebody willing to invest the time with you to help you recognize those moments. You know, it's mm -hmm. just like any other sport, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's, you can have natural born talent, but you can also develop that skill and awareness, especially if you've got a coach or a mentor that is willing to dive that deep into the details and what's happening with the horse moment to moment. If you can find somebody like that, Mm -hmm. And you, you will ride at a high level and you'll never lack confidence around those types of horses. I think that's fantastic that you actually acknowledged that feel is teachable because there's, there are people and you know, when you have a natural feel for something, whether it's horses or conversations with people or cooking, whatever it might be, if you have that natural feel, then things kind of come a little easier. But sometimes our passion doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly where we're fully talented in. And I think it's important for people to, people to understand that there are people out there who are willing to invest that time into them in order to teach them. And I think you're right. It all comes down to being aware of those little tiny nuances, all of those little things and breaking it down so small that feel is essentially what you're teaching just in a little bit of a roundabout way. Um, so yep. you, they may not even know that that is what you're working on. And all of a sudden, you know, it might take a year, it might take them 10 years. Um, but it's, it's absolutely a possibility. And I feel like it's so discouraging when people hear the things like feels not teachable um, because it plays such an important role in horsemanship. Yeah. And from a mindset perspective, you know, I'd be curious about your experiences too, as, as a coach in the mindset space, you know, I've part of my job, honestly, sometimes with people that in with situations or, or around horses that they, they really have a right to feel confident, you know, and they're learning, they're making progress, but there just seems to be a general trend among some horse owners to be super hard on themselves, like almost defeatist in a way, like, I'm, you know, humans are such bad. Humans are failures. The horse is perfect. The horse is never wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, hu humans are trash. You know, I'm, I'm, I've just, why do I even try, you know, type yeah. of an attitude. And, um, I just, I cringe so much when I, when I run into that stuff, because 
just looking back on my own experience, like how far I've come, you know, I mean, that, that is possible for, for anybody that has the, the desire and just the hunger for that knowledge. And just, it takes time, obviously it yeah. takes investment. It takes bringing a, a mentor or several around you that can help you there. There's certainly a lot of unhelpful trainers. Um, but if, if with the resources and if you have the motivation, like I said in the beginning, you're making a choice to mm -hmm. change even habits that you, you are aware of that you keep falling into that you know are a flaw in your personality or just your writing style or whatever, but you can make a conscious choice to change that stuff. And Absolutely. so I, I just wish, I just wish people had more confidence in their ability to change for the better sometimes. So the best way that I can explain that to people is that if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Exactly. Right. So no matter what it is in life, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. And it's just simply switching from finding those times where you catch yourself saying, Oh, I can't do this. Um, to when you feel that way, you look for someone to help you. So all that means is you feel like you can't do this alone look for someone. And in this day and age, there is so much ability to access knowledge. Um, you know, there's, whether it's free or paid, there's no excuse for anyone to say, I can't learn that because, um, it's just so accessible. And then the other part that you said there that I just, I think is brilliant is that idea of our ability to change things that we might even feel are ingrained in us. We think, oh, well, you know, that's just me. And I hear that excuse when it comes to whether it be the way that people handle their horses or maybe it's the way they handle their husband or whoever else. Um, but that's just me. And I don't think that that's an excuse. I think that that is a cop-out. It's a way for people to be able to get away with behaviors that other people are trying to set boundaries around. And I think that when we know that our personalities are not finite, like we are able to change for our own betterment and the betterment of our relationships, that we need to just wash all those excuses away. Yep. I heard a saying one time that, uh, man is both the sculptor and the marble. Mm. I think that pretty much sums up my thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that, you know, when your brother was off at, with a reigning trainer, I think you said Andrea Fapani, and then you're off with a working cow horse guy and then you came together and you created this program. What do you give people for advice if they're looking they don't necessarily have someone that's accessible to be able to help them right now. Do you advise that people find one person that speaks to them and follow that program and learn that program to a T? Or do you think that there's value in really looking outside of the box and saying, okay, well, this trainer does this, this trainer does that. And you know, I've, I know that I've had a lot of conversations around people who say, oh, well, you should only ever learn for one person because if not, you get confused and then uh, you, create, you create inconsistency. And my opinion is that people are smarter than that, but that's, <laughs> that's a whole right. other story. Um, <laughs> but what's your advice there? Do you think people should dive in with one particular person or do you think they should kind of dabble a little bit? I will say this. I believe that in the beginning, as a learner, 
it's better if you find one system or one approach that really resonates with you first, Mm -hmm. because you have to learn the rules before you know how to break them. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's, there's exceptions to that, obviously, like there are to every rule, but I think just from my own experience, you know, I found one program, one system to follow where the internal logic of the program, the way the exercises fit together, the order they're taught made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And once I understood that, well, then you're never really done learning as a horseman. You grow and evolve. You can get, you can eventually get to a point where I think a tinkering mindset is warranted, where you're, you're talking with a bunch of different horsemen, you're getting ideas, bouncing things off of each other. You know, you look at high level professionals all the time. That's, that's probably one of the biggest qualities is they're very open-minded they're constantly pitching ideas and concepts off each other just spitballing things see if they'll work maybe they do maybe they don't maybe they do for some programs you know Mm -hmm. so you get into those nuances but I think in the beginning it's best to have a foundation of 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 a single approach and not not approach that in a closed-minded way Mm -hmm. but almost as like a rite of passage of Mm -hmm need to learn one system, one approach, just so you have consistency in the mm-hmm. logic and the steps of everything that you're learning. Once you really can master that, now you can evolve and expand. Um, so I'm kind of on that bandwagon as opposed to um, the cherry picking mentality. I see a lot of amateur horse owners getting into. There's nothing wrong with that, I believe, at an advanced level. But just like our horses, I believe people need consistency mm-hmm. and and a and a really a, a program and a formula that makes sense as a foundation for their knowledge then you can grow and expand yeah no i completely agree i actually just wrote down foundation and underlined it um because i i'm of the same mindset where as a beginner you really focus on that one program and then as we naturally progress through growth then we have that foundation and we know where to go to if things go wrong. We have our understanding, but then we're able to then apply the things that work for us and know when things don't work for us, given the foundation that we have. Um, And I think that's really important too when it comes to our young horses. So, you know, if we have that young horse, it's really important to get that clear foundation in there. And then, you know, if you go off to a two-day clinic, then it's not going to rattle them and it's not going to stress them if you're, you're asked to do things differently because now they've already been taught how to think through pressure and they've already been taught to find the right answer on the other side of pressure. So it's less confusing for them um, and less frustrating the same as I believe it is for people. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. So this is going to be the last topic because I feel like it's one that you and I could talk about for a little while, but I feel like we had this conversation a little bit when we spoke the last time, but when you look at what you believe leadership looks like for horses, what do you believe a handler, what are the, I guess I'll just say the first two or your top two criteria for a leader for a horse? Yeah. Number one, I think is to have a, what I call a trigger mindset. That means that in response to your horse's uncertainty or an overreaction to something, you know, horses do silly reactive things all the time. They're a reactive prey animal. And, and I think also one thing that people often fail to grasp is that the learning curve is not glamorous. Like when you're introducing things to a horse, they're going to struggle with it. Um, I mean, that's, that should be a known and expected part of the game. 
But what I see oftentimes is when a horse is struggling with a particular concept and they're just going through a, a patch of resistance that really is normal in the grand scheme of things, or they have some kind of a, an overreaction to something or spook at something, whatever. A lot of people are just, uh, there's just something inhibiting them from taking action in that moment, say to redirect their horse's feet, get their horse get their horse's attention back on them, some way to take control in that situation and not just sit by as that horse mentally leaves you, you know, mm -hmm. or just to give up instead of working through that resistance. Mm -hmm. And when I say trigger mindset, it means taking action in response to whether it's resistance, whether it's an overreaction from the horse, right? You're, you're taking a proactive response rather than simply allowing that reaction or that negativity to happen and kind of letting the animal dictate the terms of this learning interaction and this entire experience to you. Mm -hmm. um, we did a podcast a long time ago. The, the title was kind of clickbaity. It was like, stop being a non-factor or something like that. <laughs> but that kind of sums up my thoughts yeah. on that angle anyway, is like, have a take action approach, um, whether it's in response to your horse's spook and being able to redirect that energy, put their feet back to work, get their focus back on you. And that is just, that is a microcosm of a larger area when it comes to teaching good mental habits. This is a phrase that I harp on constantly, but it's really true. And the foundation of it is consistency, but like you know, when, if your horse is going through some resistance or, or something like that, um, like really the whole point of training, in my opinion, when you really boil it down to its, to its fundamental level is about teaching a horse good habits that are often the opposite instinct of that they would have as a prey animal. Mm -hmm. We teach them to soften and submit to pressure, to be relaxed, to think their way through a bind and find the release and reward rather than overreact and try to flee and panic, which they'd be naturally predisposed to, you know? So really what it comes down to, I think, like not to repeat myself too much, but it goes like being a good leader around your horse really means consistency mm -hmm. in having, I guess, the will to work through spots of resistance or to take action and show them a different way, redirect their feet, reassert control, get their attention back on you if they overreacted to something. Um, the, those would probably be the top two things that sort of interlock, you might say, in a lot of different situations, training or just out riding on the trail is in response to your horse doing something, have a take charge approach, be proactive, you know, lead this animal. Don't allow it to just react to something. And then men mentally they're, they've left, you know, the mm -hmm. training opportunity has passed. Now you're kind of a victim of circumstance, just sitting there, you know, um, but be proactive, have a take charge mentality, but mm -hmm. also have internal consistency in the things that you're teaching. If yeah. you're putting pressure on a horse, for example, like a great example that I brought up in a recent podcast was a lady that, um, she actually, I saw this training video on Facebook. She went to put pressure on her horse's nose to back it up and the horse failed to respond. So rather than you know, escalating the pressure or just going to that next level of effectiveness, she kind of chickened out and just backed off and stopped. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and that lack of consistency, that lack of willingness to follow through mm. is just, it cripples you as a mm -hmm. horseman. So that's my advice to people that are often squeamish about putting pressure on their horses. A lot of times is have, have the will to follow through, to teach something, you know, cause a lot of people are hanging in this limbo where they're doing enough to kind of antagonize the horse, but really not enough to make a statement in that horse's mind and create permanent knowledge. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because I actually just spoke in a video today about the fact that so many people want change. They want change in their life. They want change in their horse. They want change in their marriage, whatever it might be, but they're so afraid to take action. So the change won't happen unless action is taken, but our, the, you know, the discomfort that we know is a little more comfortable than the discomfort that we don't know. So it's way easier to complain and take, have non-action than it is to be like, okay, I'm digging in. <laughs> um, the other part there that you spoke about is when I hear trigger mindset, I really like that. I really like the idea of, of getting people to understand that you have to take action in response to what is happening with your horse. But the thing that I want to make sure that everyone understands is the importance of our ability to detach our emotions from our corrections or our responses to their reactions. Because oftentimes it's like there's, it's either 50, 50, you see someone who does nothing at all and the horse is left on their own and they're like, okay. And or they swing a leg off and they're like, okay, well that's enough for me. Or you have the person that has the really quick hands. They have the really quick feet and their response is so unfair in response to their horse's actions that it mm -hmm. actually does the complete opposite. Yeah, totally. I've actually had this exact conversation because one of my mentors one time in, in one of his lectures, he was telling us as a group of, of kids that were there studying, he's like, you know, I would rather have somebody that's more of a barbarian than kind of a nagging, ineffective wimp, right? Because at least if, if somebody's a little bit too aggressive, you can dial them back and just get them to that lukewarm medium where they have a well-balanced approach, mm -hmm. you know? So, so this guy really preferred more of the hot headed, uh, overbearing types. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I was talking to some, some of my fellow students after that. And, and I really believe this, you know, ever since then is like, neither one of them are good. They both come yeah. with such baggage and problems. Yeah. Like this is something I've talked about previously in, in podcasts and a previous interview I gave a big topic was self-awareness, yeah. you know, and that's part of, uh, there's a lot of personal dimensions to that. But then as you're feeling timing, as it relates to horsemanship, you need to have some self-awareness and some honesty to know where your tendencies and weak spots are, you know, mm -hmm. and me personally, I, I think, you know, I'm in the same camp as a lot of people where I tend to be on that overly aggressive side. Yeah. At least that's what I'm naturally predisposed to doing, yeah. but I'm aware of that. And when I get into high stress situations where I start to feel that old tendency of mine coming out, mm -hmm. you know, that's something I've tried to remain consciously aware of and be unemotional mm -hmm. rather than, because some horses, and this is what I think part of the problem is too, at least for me in the beginning, I had horses that were very forgiving of that tendency of mine to go too overboard. And I didn't realize how 
disproportionate what I was doing was relative to the situation mm -hmm. until I had horses call my bluff and call me out on that because they were not going to put up with that. You know, whereas yeah. my, my forgiving backyard ponies, they did. And I think that that dynamic plays out with a lot of people where they've gotten away with things and not had to be self-aware about it. But then at some point they meet a horse that is not going to put up with that. And it's a big shock, you know? And yeah. so be, becoming really the difficult part about that is you have to have a lot of experience to kind of know where the chips fall and where your own personal shortcomings are. But that's, again, it goes back to guidance, coaching, mentoring, working with somebody that's knowledgeable, that is a detached third party so that as you're getting drawn emotionally into a situation, they can cut off, head that off at the pass and yeah. show you the correct way to go about it and how, because really in those situations, we've got to do exactly what we preach to our horses all day, which is to think through the situation, right. you know, slow down and think about it logically and be a thinking horseman. Mm -hmm. And still move. Exactly. So, like S still to take be able action. To, exactly. To, and that I, every time I think of, you know, I feel like people have the terms rest and relaxation a little confused because I feel like so many people say, okay, well, my body's going to tell me when I need to relax. And that's not true. Your body will not tell you when you need to relax. Your body's going to tell you when you need to rest because it's going to, you're going to get sick. You're going to start to feel your energy drained. You're going to all these different things where your body says you need to just slow down and shut down. And recharge but your body will never tell you that you need to relax because your body gets comfortable in whatever zone you put it in so if you are if you are busy being anxious your body's going to get comfortable being anxious so i think that it's really important for people to understand and whenever i whenever i get a little hung up on this i picture those really broke reining horses that are super relaxed, but they're performing at an optimal level. And you can see the epitome of movement and relaxation at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I had this conversation because I actually got some negativity and pushback. Um, I use the term broke horse just to mean mm -hmm. a horse that is, when I think of a quote broke horse, I picture a horse that is mentally dialed in, super confident and relaxed yeah. about their job. Even if what they're doing has high intensity to it, mm -hmm. you know, these horses get with the right training and the right development, they get to where they're almost like professional athletes, where making an athletic maneuver that requires a lot of intensity, mentally, they're super relaxed. It's like another day in the office, you know? Yeah, they don't even and have getting, to think about it. They're just, it, it's just natural. Exactly. Exactly. And getting one that dialed in, I mean, you know, that goes back to the, to the habits you create in your training where you mm -hmm. might be going through a stressful situation or, or some resistance there in the learning curve of teaching something new, but you stay in it long enough, allow that horse to relax within that, mm -hmm. get mentally comfortable with their job and build confidence. You know, you, you play that logically, say two years forward when this horse is showing, mm -hmm. um, like you said, they, they, they go around with just a level of softness and just mental relaxation and quietness um, that I wish more people got to feel honestly, yeah. because yeah. when I picture a broke horse, that's exactly what I picture. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And I also would love for people to be, be able to see, feel that in themselves that they can go to work every day and they can have the hard conversations with their spouses 
and be able to function within their life and feel that movement in their life and feel relaxation at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think that is lost among us. Um, and I feel like we, we really have gotten confused. We, we feel like we have to shut everything down in order to relax. And I think that when we start to really look at what we expect of our horses, then we're able to see what we can do. So some different things that I, I like to teach is that so often we say our horse, we want our horse to be relaxed. We want our horse to think through pressure. We want our horse to be able to um, emotionally manage themselves so that if they're going into fight or flight, they can come back out of it and go into uh, rest and relaxation really quickly. Um, so we expect all these things of our horses, but yet how many times are the people on the end of the, the rope not able to do any of those things themselves. So they struggle to be able to focus. They struggle, struggle to be able to let go. They struggle to be able to have that emotional athleticism um, to be able to be triggered and bring brought, be brought back down and ground themselves quickly. So I think when we start to look at the things we expect of our horses mentally and physically, that it's a great opportunity to, for us to assess how do I do those things? Um, because if we can't, then what right do we have to expect that of an animal? Absolutely. That's why, you know, what horse training, yeah, we're, we're training horses, but a lot of it has almost been therapeutic for me just mm -hmm. personally, you know, it's allowed me to unwind a lot of things personally about myself mm -hmm. that, uh, were, were, that I didn't necessarily like or range, um, in addition to working with these animals. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm going to let you go, Jake, because I feel like this has been a great conversation. I'd love to have you back on the show sometime. And just remind my listeners one more time where they can find you on social media as well uh, as in the podcast space. And uh, I want to thank you again. It's been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been a blast. And uh, yeah, people, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with me. Facebook, uh, Lundahl Performance, that's L-U-N-D-A-H-L, Lundahl Performance on Facebook. Uh, my podcast is, is really anywhere that there's podcasts, the Horseman's Academy. Um, and I also have a website, LundahlPerformance.com. Perfect. And the re the way that I got introduced to you actually was through your podcast. I had a close friend of mine, uh, Nadine. She the first time she heard your podcast, she was like, "This guy, like I can learn from this guy." <laughs> and what she loved is that you're so relatable to the way that my husband teaches. And so she knew that I was going to enjoy your information because I was going to be able to share it with my husband and he was going to be able to relate to it. And then the more that she got to know your training and your methodology, the more that she, she really wanted to dive in deeper. So I, uh, I want to give her a shout out because I really wouldn't have found you probably, well, not right away until, uh, until she told me. So thanks Nadine. And I'm sure that you'll be hearing from her because she's, she's totally invested and she loves what you're doing. So thanks for putting your work out there, stepping out of your comfort zone, learning all the new things. And, uh, we appreciate all you do. No, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks again, Jake.
Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.